Hi everyone, you're listening to the Weldon Cooper Center's podcast, Intersections in Public Service. This episode will be a little different from our usual format, and I'm really excited to introduce our first Sorensen Spotlight episode, which will be hosted by Larry Roberts, the director of the Sorensen Institute for Political Leadership. He will be interviewing none other than the former Senator John Warner. So, just some background. John W. Warner was a six-term United States Senator from Virginia and a graduate of the University of Virginia School of Law. During his 30 years in the Senate from 1979 to 2009, he garnered a well-earned reputation as one of the most effective legislators in the last half century. Our host for this episode, Larry Roberts, has his own background in Virginia politics. He has chaired five successful statewide campaigns in Virginia and served as counselor to the governor. We are here today with former United States Senator John W. Warner, a University of Virginia Law School graduate who served for 30 years in the Senate. Senator Warner, thank you very much for joining us for the first Sorensen Spotlight podcast. As you know, the Sorensen Institute for Political Leadership seeks to encourage Virginians to consider public service, develop their leadership potential, and give back to their communities. You have served Virginia and the country throughout your long career and serve as a role model to many of the participants in Sorensen's leadership programs. So as we talk about your important role on the national level and in the Commonwealth, I'd like to start by simply asking you how you started your career in public service. Well, I was in the group that young people that observed World War II and my father had been in World War I as an army captain doctor in the trenches, a decorated, wounded, brave man. And he looked at me one day and he said, off you go, boy. And I was 17. And uh, you were able to join at 17 in World War II only if your mother and father signed off on it. Otherwise, you waited until you were drafted and so forth. And uh, I went into the Navy, and that was the beginning of, uh, let's say, trying to make a contribution uh, to my fellow men and women, wherever they are, and in foreign lands. I suddenly was thrust in with all kinds of wonderful, all men at that time, all of us uh, young, 17, 18 years old, and 19 a few and our generation were going through a vigorous training thing. I enlisted in the Christmas vacation period of 1944. And at that time, America had really been rolled back on its heels by the final assault by the Axis forces. It's called the Battle of the Bulge. A few people realize it, that we lost more casualties in that one battle in the fall of 1944 even after we'd had a marvelous, victorious landing on D-Day and pushed in country. But anyway, this whole experience sobered me up, and I learned to be just as comfortable with young young men who'd never had a, any fraction of the benefits I'd been given by a wonderful mother and father and beautiful home and wonderful schools and it helped me reel down to the reality of what things were all about. 
So I suppose you learned that leadership and bravery was a shared trait among all different types of people in the military. That's right. And really, your life in the military very often depended on the person in the foxhole next to you or flying in the cockpit in front of you or behind you. That person had to save your life on times as well as you try to save him. So we really had a, a, a great relationship with that group of men. And uh, I profited so much from that experience. And I took off from that point and uh, went to Washington Lee simply because that was my father's school and it was his dying wish to, he died just months after I finished my Navy duty. He wanted me to go there and so I was happy to do it. But I always wanted to get to Virginia. And so I applied and um, I had a good record at Washington Lee, but the competition to get into UVA law was really tough because I was still in that general class of veterans who had, so many of us were in the educational phases of our life having come out because a lot of, a lot of the men and women uh, had spent two, three, four, five years in the military and then now to suddenly get out, they had to really go like lickety-split to get, get in stride with the, their peer group. So anyway, uh, there was a lot of competition, and uh, I filed an application, and I'll never forget this story. The dean wrote me a letter. Years later, after I'll jump ahead in this story, I was on an airplane, and this lady leaned over to me and said, oh, uh, uh, Mr. Warner, did you go to the University of Virginia? Uh, I said, yes, yes, I was there. Did you know Bobby Kennedy? This is a book that's written about him. And I said, yes, I knew him quite well. I used to play football at his house, and he was a year ahead of me, but we were good friends. And he said, oh, he, this tragedy, we lost him. And I said, oh, I, I felt terrible about it said, but look in the book, his biography, the letter that the University of Virginia sent him in reply to his application. And so she read the letter to me, and I burst out laughing. I said, you wouldn't believe it. I got the same damn letter, verbatim. There was an old uh, faculty member, we used to call him Silly Billy, who, who handled a lot of the admissions. And Silly Billy was a term of love, not dis, disdain towards him. We all loved the old guy. Well, this letter was written by Silly Billy to me and Bobby. And the letter went on, blah, blah, blah. We regret to all this. Your, your test scores were not as high as we had hoped and we usually expect. But given the fact that you've done diverse things and, you know, one thing or another, we're going to allow you to join the entering class. But I wish to, and he got very stern in his voice in this letter, I wish to tell you, I think it highly unlikely you're going to succeed. Well, Bobby, he passed on, he was attorney general, I'm now the senior senator of Virginia, so I just 
I hope that Billy Billy looking down from the heavens said occasionally I made a mistake or two. <laughs> so I got into UVA. I, but once I was there, I really went to work and I had that wonderful team of professors, which, oh, I just wish there were records that the students could listen to those men. I'm sure the faculty today are equally, but there was a great love between my generation. Again, they were all veterans and so forth. But, and my gosh, the war broke out in over Korea. And uh, next thing I know, I was in reserve units. I was given 10 days notice to leave my second year of law school, go put on my uniform and back in it again. Actually, a number of us were called to active duty out of law school, and about, about half of them didn't return. They were lost. And um, another learning experience of how good fortune can, what it means in your life. When I came back from Korea and after two years and how Dean Ribble, oh my, he was such a wonderful dean of the law school. I'll never forget him. He took the six or seven of us that came back, had had to drop out and go back in the military and we came back. Those that survived and came back. And he took personal interest in seeing every one of us got into the classes and were able to finish our law school as as quickly as we could. Can you have one other story? Sure. Ribble used to stutter a little bit, not badly, but he when he get emotional about something, he'd stutter. And I, he had said to me, "Now, John, what what is it you want to do?" I said, "Well, I'd I'd, I'd like to get some experience and go back uh, as a trial lawyer. I think I'd be pretty good." He said, "Yes, you you are good on your feet, young man. You do have that quality. You may not be top in your academic." What is it you want to do? How do you want to start? I said, I'd like to be a law clerk to a federal judge. And he almost fell out of his seat. He said, he started, did you talk to some of your other guys about this? Yeah. Well, don't you know the tradition down here that only law review guys ever get appointed to be law clerks to judges? I said, yeah, I've heard that. But a lot of people throughout life have told me, no, don't do this, don't do that. And I go ahead and do it. And this conversation went on for about three months. And the date of graduation is coming up. And he said, now, you, 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 what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a law clerk. He said, okay, I'll make you a deal. I'll get you the appointment, but I don't think I can come in with the full force and effect of the university and ratify this nomination we make of you. I said, that's a deal. And so I studied several circuit cut law. I wanted to do the circuit. And I took this one justice here in the District of Columbia, and I read every opinion he'd ever written. And when I walked in, he looked at me and he said, young man, did you see some of the guys in the office out there? I said, yes. Did you have a talk with them? I said, no. We were out there like a lot of frozen mummies, folding our hands and shaking to come in to see you. And he laughed. And um, he said, well, they're all law review, young man. And I've been on the bench nine years, and I've never had anything but a law review, man. 
you, 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 what is it about you that justifies me from deviating from my long practice? I said, I've read every decision you've ever made. If I can't answer a question about your cases, you ought to chuck me out. Well, the old guy was smoking a cigar, and he he just gathered up his wits a minute. He did think about how, what he was going to say. He asked me about six questions. He never said a word. He said, I make my decision very promptly in two weeks. Uh, you will get a letter. Thank you for coming. And damn if I didn't get the letter, got the job. And I remained friends with that man all my life. And uh, he opened that door for me. And and he was strict as the Dickens. And it was uh, one year. And uh, soon I got to know him quite well, as did you other clerks with their justices. And um, that was a marvelous way to get started. And then from that, I'm fortunate enough to get into the U.S. Attorney's Office. And there I just thoroughly enjoyed that work for five years. And was in the end of trying a number of the bigger cases. And it's, I realized that I had a, a given strength to, on the floor. I was good in trial lawyer, and I was strictly trial. I did a little appellate, but mostly trial work. And from there, I always had an inner calling, almost. You do your best on your feet, not just pulling over books and presiding over meetings. Get out there again. And I sure just bolted out of um, safely being in a law firm and and people said, you're crazy to start politics. I mean, where is it going to lead you? So forth. I said, I'm not sure, but I know I want to go. And that's when you decided to run for the Senate? Yeah. Uh, my first race was less than a million dollars. Of course, it was a 90-day race that I had because uh, of the tragic loss of a wonderful man uh, in an airplane accident. and. Uh, I'd fought him all the way through the primary system. And I came in second, and he won fair, fair and square. And I supported him, and then he lost his life, and and the state turned to me, and and I, uh, in 90 days, put together a Senate campaign and won by a narrow faction. So I have much, and I love the state, and and it was such, such a privilege and pleasure make decisions with the state elected officials. And I worked a lot with the members of the General Assembly. I didn't pay any attention who was who was more powerful seat. They needed help. I tried to help them, not strictly on political lines, but in a balancing of, of federal funds as it's distributed in different ways uh, in all of our states. 30 years seemed to slip by. Uh, and then I went back to my old law firm. So that's a rough sketch of my uh, career. I'm still practicing law. I hit 93 years old. I enjoy it. I just had one good break after another. And again, it was the University of Virginia that, that enabled me to get these things and do what I did. So you attribute UVA to jumpstarting your career in a way? The school's just been my life. It just the, the memories of that school are so warming in my heart and wherever I've gone and all the 
things I've done in my lifetime and traveled wars and peace and everything I just it, look at it as a serenity and and to walk by the old rotunda and I, I selected the rotunda to announce my 30 years had come to an end I'll never forget that how do you think universities and programs like the Sorensen Institute should encourage young people to look at career paths in public service? One thing I have is in mind, I would like to work within our university to encourage young men and women to consider doing as part of their public life some, some job to pay back all that they have received much like I felt I always need to pay back. And I just, I can't think of anything more rewarding than public service. The military service was rewarding, but that's exceptional. And hopefully that's just limited to rare occasions for most of us. But, um, and I'd like to work with Sorensen, which I find is a wonderful appendage to the our great university integral part of it, but still has a a bit of autonomy on its own, if I understand things. And we want to work as partners. I'd like to work with them in any capacity to try and help uh, our graduates, particularly, most particularly, UVA graduates, Washington League graduates and others, to consider they don't have to run for the Senate and be in the Senate. That's okay. top jobs, but there are many jobs. I think being a mayor or a chairman of a city council sometimes more difficult than being a senator, but it's a wonderful job. Uh, We're seeing the role of mayor come to the forefront uh, during the course of this pandemic. I think it's push-pull struggle with the federal system. uh, is marvelous to the individual states, the way they're standing their ground one way or another. So anyway, I just would try to, as best I could, convey with the greatest of enthusiasm, but in deep sincerity, those fundamentals that you have to have in mind to run for public office. Uh, but if you do succeed, whether it's just for a couple of years or whatever, you're going to like it, and you'll always look back on it as a very rewarding chapter of your individual careers. Well, since you have spent a long time in public service as a politician, what have you learned from that experience? It's a rough and tumble game. I tell you, your heart's got to be in it to be successful. Uh, You've got to be challenged by your constituents. And you've got to have your family support. I'd like to put an underline that. Fortunately, uh, my family have been supportive of my public service. Uh, my children uh, can quietly say from time to time, you know, you missed a lot of the sporting events. We'd like to have had you, and we wish we could have traveled with you more. But on the whole, the family support I had was just terrific, and you've got to have that. You have recommended that young people engage in public service of different types. Why do you feel so strongly that public service for today's younger generation is important? To be 
unselfish. You should devote part of your career to trying to make the next generation's experience every bit as rich and rewarding as yours, and hopefully a bit better and a bit wider in its opportunities. Uh, We've got to keep this great nation of ours moving forward. Uh, If I'd have given this speech six months ago, I'd, I'd know exactly what I wanted to say. But this pandemic has ramifications, which is bringing about some major rethinking and changing of our professional lives, our personal lives, private lives, our relationships with others. Anyway, the point is, uh, let's make things better for the next generation. I think we all have that obligation. And you've got to learn to, no matter what degree of achievements and so forth you've had in life, you've got to be confident in your own ability to move forward and have that spirit to to encourage others to do not only the same, but do better than you did. So what advice do you have for graduates who are about to embark in their careers? Well, Polonius' advice to his son, isn't that it? Unto thine own self, always be true. And I have followed that uh, into wreckage and glory, both of them. Be yourself and then pose to yourself a challenge to do something, hopefully public office, preferably elective office, because I, when I give this speech to young people, I say, believe me, there's a world of difference between appointed to an office and then having to go out and shake hands and ask, look a person in the eye and say, I need your vote to get this office. Now, by the way, I don't know whether we're going to shake hands anymore, political elections, but anyway. I just think that we have a unique position, and I'd like to work with Sorensen to, to do what I can in a small way to to uh, give an awakening, wake-up call to these people as the marvelous opportunities that they'll benefit from doing public service. We want to thank you again, Senator Warner, for your time and insights during this Sorensen Spotlight podcast. We are very appreciative of all the support you've given to Sorensen over the years. We also like to thank our listeners. For those of you who are interested in promoting effective political and civic leadership in the Commonwealth of Virginia, we encourage you to visit SorensenInstitute.org, like us on Facebook, or follow us on LinkedIn. Thank you. Now, this episode is part one of two that we have recorded with John Warner, so stay tuned for our next episode, which will focus on Senator Warner's political career, as well as the importance of relationship building with bipartisan values. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your family or friends, and just remember that anyone can be a public servant.